This is P.L. Myers, a shot to the top, pro wrestling's manager extraordinaire. This is Steve Michaels, the master of the Chicago Bear Hug. This is Tim Storm, former NWA World Heavyweight Champion. What's up, guys? This is Mr. 3% John Hudson. This is rock star Johnny Nye. Hello there, wrestling fans. This is John Bullard, owner of Chicagoland Championship Wrestling. Wrestling fans, Steve Allen here, one half the commentary team of Chicagoland Championship Wrestling, also the general manager of Chicago Style Wrestling. And you are listening to What Do You Say with DDJ. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 21 of What Do You Say with DDJ. As always, I am your host, DDJ, and uh, this week we're going to do things a little bit differently. Uh, this week is going to be a best of What Do You Say with DDJ, where I will be playing clips from all the interviews that I've done with the various personalities I've had on this show. And uh, this is going to lead into the season premiere of What Do You Say with DDJ that will debut on the very first Monday of January of 2021. Yes, we finally made it through 2020. So before you go out and, you know, celebrate New Year's with your family, your friends and your loved ones, kick back, relax and enjoy these, this best of what do you say with DDJ uh, with all featuring clips for, uh, from all of my past guests. So you mentioned, you know, bringing in all the big names for your dream night shows. Now, obviously, you know, I remember, I believe it was the second one when you had the Road Warriors and Ellering along with Jimmy Snuka. And I remember that because I got to be a part of that. Thanks to you. I remember that. I got on the head with a coconut. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate that. <laughs> oh, anytime, anytime. I actually just was kind of looking through some of the book and I saw the part where all the pictures were. And I saw that picture and it kind of gave me a chuckle because that brought back some memories. But um, that was a, definitely a memory for me. Yeah. So um, you'd mentioned, obviously, you know, some of the guys. So, so who are all the guys that you brought in for Dream Night? Oh, I mean, you got to think it was 13 Dream Nights. And on top of it, you got to think of the, the, the all the talent that we brought in outside of Dream Night shows. I mean, we had yeah. regular shows that we brought in people, too. I mean, you've the very first people that we brought in were the Road Warriors when I managed them in uh, 2000. Um, in 2001, um, 2001, 2000, yeah, in 2000, actually, yeah, 2001, when I managed the Road Warriors, October 20th at, at Oakland Pavilion, we drew over 900 people uh, for that event. Uh, unfortunately, I got beat up by the Road Warriors, and uh, the rest is history. And then we brought in Vampiro um, in uh, February in um, Melrose Park, and then Dream Night One was with the Road Warriors and uh kurt henning showed up this is one right when he got fired so he showed up at the show wow. and then we came into dream night two and he said well, who are we going to bring us back and he said bring back the road warriors we go we just had him 
I said, yeah, but this is a 20-year anniversary. So we were the only company in the United States to do a 20-year anniversary for the Road Warriors. And then we brought in Jimmy Superfly Snooker because 19 years uh, earlier, Jimmy Superfly Snooker got hit on the head with the coconut with Rod, uh, with uh, um, Roddy Piper. So we wanted right. to do special for that and uh, you know i came out dressed as rowdy piper with real bagpipes i remember that and people lost their mind thinking it was rowdy piper and i would have the kill to cost me quite a bit but i wanted to do it right you know pay tribute to rowdy because you know rowdy wasn't available but i want to pay tribute to jimmy superfly snooker since i had ties with him so uh it was a it was a thing and then you go on to that then you bring then you bring in guys like bret hart you got Kurt Angle, you got Mick Foley, you got Ric Flair came to a show. It wasn't a dream night. You had the Ultimate Warrior who, who also came in. You've had Led Dusty Rhodes came to a dream night. You know, legends upon legends. I mean, we had Sting was our very last dream night we had. So there were guys that we brought in, you know, the biggest name guys. Matt Hardy we brought in right after he got let go from WWF with the whole Lita situation. And that blew up and was ridiculous because he just goes to the ring, says hello, and a line out the door for his autograph. So we've had a lot of great superstars come through our door. Now, were they, were all the guys that you brought in for like the dream nights and the other shows, was there anybody that you would say was difficult to work with? Well, you know, there are difficult situations with every talent. Um, mm -hmm. They're not used to, coming to an independent wrestling show at that time. I mean, remember, we were first starting out. I mean, in New York and the uh, Northeast, they did a lot of this stuff. So in Chicago, there wasn't a lot of stuff done. Up in Milwaukee, there was some stuff done. But in Chicago, it wasn't really done. So difficult situations, you know. It, yeah, I could tell difficult situations, but it's not a credit to them because they still came out. They were professional at the show. They did what they had to do. And, you know, everyone's history of each person is kind of skewed. So I think that the best way to remember every individual that came in Chicago is how they took care of the fans. I mean, think of the Ultimate Warrior. Stood in line for five hours with the fans. You had Ric Flair. You had Bobby Heenan. You had Jim Cornette come to a show. So you, if you take the greatest tag team, the greatest wrestlers, the greatest managers of all time, come through our company. Paul Ellering came through. Bill Alfonso came through. So you have the great, the best of the best come through. We set a standard of the talent that we brought in. So, okay. So when did you decide that becoming a professional wrestler was what you wanted to do? Uh, you know, I, uh, as a fan, I had went to WrestleMania uh, when it was out in California. I think it was, um, I think it was when they were in like the, the, the San Diego area or something like that or, or LA area and um, ended up meeting the wild Samoans as a fan um, went up to, to get their autograph and Afa looked at me and, and the first things before I could even say hi and Afa looked at me and was like, do you wrestle? <laughs> and uh, my response was, I'm not, I don't, I'm not sure if I could, if I can do it, if I'm, if I'm cut out for it, were my exact words. And he, he just kind of smiled and he was like, you never know until you try. Fast forward to about a month later. Um, I was here in Chicago again, as a fan, uh, met Tommy Dreamer and, uh, 
Tommy and I had a long conversation. I had a podcast at the time with my buddy and we, we got him on our podcast and we did a quick little interview and we we're just standing around talking and Tommy just kind of like stopped the conversation. He looked at me. He was like, I- I'm sorry. I- I've been meaning to ask you, do you wrestle? <laughs> and I, I kind of looked at him. I was like, cause I was, I was a fan of Tommy. I was an ECW guy. You, you know, I, I, I'd stay up till two in the morning to watch ECW. And, uh, you know, so I was like, no, I, but you're the second person that's, that's asked me uh, within the past month. I'm honestly thinking about it. And he kind of, you know, he gave me this look and he was like, you know, if you, you were a wrestler right now and I was in my old position as talent relations for WWE, he's like, I would offer you a contract on the spot. We, I was told to hire guys that looked like you. So I would, I would offer you a contract, no questions asked. And um, really kind of taken aback by that because that's that's a huge kind of a a, a deal and, and kind of a moment where it, it just changes everything. You know, you go from thinking, well, maybe I'll give it a shot to maybe there is a shot there. Maybe there is an opportunity there for me down the line. And uh, that kind of pushed me, pushed me over the edge and uh, decided to to make a, a life change and move to Florida and, and the rest is history. Wow. That... All right. Welcome back to what do you say with DDJ? Uh, once again, I'm here with uh, the owner and director of Chicagoland championship wrestling, Mr. John Bullard, uh, John. So now CCW is in play. So tell me about the process that you've undertaken from it CCW being a little seed and what you've done to uh, help it grow to where to the point to where you're about to do the tapings. Well, dating back in 2017 and 18, uh, me and Chris went out of our way to start talking about building a uh, a roster that we would want and to work for us. And so I would kind of work undercover, working for other companies as a wrestler and also referee and announcer. And I would scout talent. And I wanted people who, one, were, were top of their game. They're good young talent or good veteran talent. They're good teachers. And there's not a spot open in Chicagoland. It's more of there's a position filled that's needed. And that's how I, I go with booking. I, I don't want to book someone just to fill a show. I want someone who is meant to be there and their purpose is to make that show even better than what it is. So we went over ways to book great talent. You got Vic Capri, you got Marche Rocket, you have Garrison Creed, Chris Logan. You have uh, those guys alone, very well known in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And then you have, you know, up and coming guys. There's going to be like, you know, you've gone wild, the Gotch brothers. You have uh, Chris Jones. He was trained by Billy Robinson. He's one of the all-time greatest wrestlers ever. Mm-hmm. This kid's like the modern-day Brian Danielson. He's very, very good. Uh, we have Johnny Nye. That's, Nye reminds me if you take Edge and you threw in hot stuff, Eddie Gilbert. Ooh, with that's him. a nice combination. That's <clears throat> who Johnny Nye reminds me of. He, he just he walks and walks off. Like he's, he's good. And you got guys like uh, Tully Bertorelli, who's been on – he's a real-life TV actor, so the whole Mr. Made for TV. 
that's that's not a gimmick that's him. He's been on Chicago PD Empire. Um, he's going to be on the upcoming season of Fargo on FX. And he's going to be wrestling for us. So we have all these bigger-than-life characters. C-Red, uh, who's a legend in Chicago, too. Uh, you got young, young and upcoming stars like Miles Mercer. Uh, Yo-Ya. So it's, it's a mix of veterans, uh, youth, and a very diverse company as well, too. We're, we're, I'm a strong, strong believer in diversity. So we've been planting the seeds, building up the uh, town we're in in Michigan City. We're also, by 2021, planning to do shows in the city of Chicago as well. And so we've been, uh, it's, it's one of those step-by-step bases. To really start out a good wrestling company that you're hoping will last more than a year, you have to make slow steps and make sure what you're building for your company and brand really stands out for one compared to other wrestling shows, but also give a different flavor of ice cream, so to speak, for what we're doing. Uh, something that fans will, will realize by our shows, it's we do a lot of retro type stuff. We're modern day wrestling with, with a retro fill. Uh, you probably see some of our videos we've been doing. It's very 1980s, you know, 1990s style wrestling. And bigger than life characters and the vignettes and the montage videos and it's stuff that, that made me fall in love with wrestling when I was a kid. It's something you don't see many companies do nowadays. So when's the last time you seen a montage video in wrestling? For modern wrestling? Uh, it's, I'm having a hard time re, you know, thinking of one. So yeah, that's, that's what we want to bring. And you know, some of the videos we posted, people are like, my God, that was great. Uh, I remember uh, No Coast. Um, they just did the uh, No Coast, Coast to Coast, which is their uh, video of uh, parodying uh, Wayne's Girl. I did see that. That was hilarious. Yeah. yeah, but you don't see vignettes like that from, from people in wrestling often. So it's it kind of gives that little cheesy retro vibe of modern wrestling. So I think fans who are old school wrestling fans that want to see wrestling as a sport, will love what we're doing. Wrestling fans who are going to be entertained because they just want to have a good time. I do believe they'll love our, our products. And casual fans, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> casual wrestling fans who just want to go somewhere and have a fun time, will have that as well. Fan. How different is it for someone? Because I don't think a lot of people that uh, that aren't involved in the business like really understand that they're what the difference is. But how different is it to watch a show as a fan versus watching the show as like the booker, so to speak? Yeah, well, it's way different because as the, as the booker, if I was watching that as the booker, I, I probably would have been upset. There was uh, you know some uh, some botches and. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have called the, the the wins and losses the way they went that night. You know, for me, uh, you know, Big Jack Monahan is, is the is the Irish hero in Berwyn, and on St. Patrick's Day, you know, weekend, the, he lost to some guy who's never been at BCW before, and you know, for me, that that never would have happened with me. Um, but you know, you're sitting there as a fan, you're you're just wondering, well, what's you know what what's the next step is jack monahan on his way out is 
uh, this guy who just beat our, our hero. Is he coming back? Is, is he for real? You know, you just watch things just differently. You know, uh, I, I, it's hard not to watch it with a critical eye because that's what I've been doing since 2001. Um, but, you know, a lot of the fans, you know, they recognized me and they thought I was coming back and they thought I was going to be part of a run-in or, or a storyline or an angle. And I'm like, nope, just here to have a couple beers, guys. And, uh, you know, it's just funny. They, there was one guy in particular, and I don't know the fan's name, but there was one fan in particular. He would not take his eyes off of me because he just knew in his mind I was part of the storyline and I was going to run in and interfere and do something. And uh, he, at the end of the night, he goes, I'll be damned. You didn't move. I go, I told you I wasn't, I wasn't involved, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely different, Dennis. Uh, when you know what's supposed to happen. And then when you're sitting there as a fan, just soaking it in, right. It, it, mm -hmm. That's a big difference. And like I, I always tell wrestling fans, uh, you know, because I hear it all the time. Uh, can, can I go backstage? Can I go meet the guys? I'm like, you go backstage, you, you're going to ruin your image of pro wrestling because you're not going to like what you see back there. Um, and I learned that, that actually the very hard way uh, in an old uh, uh, NWA show at the UIC Pavilion. I wanted to go backstage so bad. And uh, when I went back there, uh, uh, when I went back there, Big Van Vader is is chatting with Ron Simmons and and uh, uh, and Lex Luger is talking with Ric Flair and and they're fighting each other that night and I'm like, wait, what the hell's going on? Uh, you know, I dude, I was I was young, I was a believer. I they don't like each other. Yeah, right. So just be careful about asking to go backstage because you won't like what you see back there. So uh, kind of, and obviously, you know, you brought, you had a lot of title defenses, but one that I found that was, uh, that in particular that I discovered you had a title defense against was Jerry the King Lawler. Uh, what was it like working with him? We, you know, we've been on a hundred shows together. Um, and I, you know, I won't say, hey, we're friends, but we get along fine. You know, always very respectful. I've never seen an issue and that was just a deal. My answer, especially as a world champion, your job is to put people in seats, right? right. Well, that was a match that we knew would put people in seats. We knew that. Mm -hmm. uh, so the experience was great. You know, I mean, I don't, I couldn't tell you how old he is today. That was maybe, I don't know, two years ago, two and a half years ago. It was about like three, two, three years ago, yeah. something like that. And, but I mean, the, the man, I mean, still looks great. He looks just like he did 30 years ago. You know, if he's, if he's whatever, if he's 68, he throws a better drop kick than I do. And that's just, that's just me laying it out there. Uh, I have nothing but good things to say about him and, and, and dealing with him on the match. It was, it was a, it was, you know, it was a, I won't say it was a high flying exhibition by either one of us, but it was a good solid match with a good story and a good finish. And I was happy with all of it. You know, I mean, I, I, Anytime you walk away, it's still the world champion against somebody that's a Hall of Famer. That's that's a pretty good deal. I would agree with that. There. So obviously, you know, 
a lot of people you hear, you know, when you become the champion, like you have an insane schedule. Um, and that was one of the, again, one of the things that I've you'll notice I've referenced a lot, you know, 10 pounds of gold a lot. Cause it's been, it was really helpful in me doing some research. Um, so what was your schedule like as the NWA champion? Here's the way the old uh, regime was set up. Mm. They sold, <clears throat> you paid to be a franchise of the NWA. Really what you were paying is to be able to use those three letters in your promotional. And then there were requirements that had to be met. One of those requirements was you had to, you had to use one of the champions. You had to book, you had to book one of the champions, your choice three times a year. One of those was the world champion. Okay. So if you have 50 franchises, so you're at that point, and it didn't always work out, but at that point you could look and say, well, that's 50 bookings right there in a year as the champion to defend. And that's just going to those once, you know, one time a year. Um, it was a really good schedule. I mean, it was, it was tough at times because you know, when you go in there, you're walking in with a lot of responsibility with, with what you're representing. You have to walk in with uh, basically a, a, you have to be the champion. You know that you're going to get one of the best guys on their roster every time. You know that the expectation is, is that your match should be the best match of the night every time. You're always going to be the main event. The pressure's on you to put people in seats or not put people in seats, right? I mean, it's, it's definitely, you know, the pressure comes with it, but that's what you want. And if you're in any, any athletic uh, activity, if you're, if you're a basketball, Michael Jordan said he always wanted to take that last shot, right? You, you, you want to be the quarterback on the 20 yard line. That's got to go 80 yards in two minutes, right? It's, that's what you want. So I relished in that, you know, and I won't, I, you know, I'm not going to say every match was a five-star match, but I was very, I was very aware uh, of, of what my job was. And I kind of approached it with the, and again, not comparing myself in any way, but I, I tried to use the Ric Flair model which means when I go, when I would go into every promotion, my job as I saw it was to make the guy that I wrestled, make everybody in the building believe that he could have beat me. He had a chance and that makes him better. It makes the promotion better because if I'm not coming back there, they have a guy that almost became world champion that could be at the top of their roster. Um, you know, so you go in and you, you know, every night you got to give, you got to give your best effort. You got to give, you can't have a bad match. That's just the way it is. Awesome. Um, so uh, what, who, was there anybody in particular that got you into wrestling? Like has made you a fan? So fun fact about this was when I was the new kid in fourth grade, I used to play WCW NWO world tour. Love that. And game. I remember playing as Papo Loco. And I, my buddies and I used to beat up the NWO. So I knew who Kevin Nash was. I knew who Six was. I knew who Scott Hall was. And I remember playing Warzone. And I remember these kids were talking about, like, Bret Hart versus Owen Hart in a steel cage. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that match. Blah, 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 blah. Knowing that that was, like, WrestleMania 10. And I'd never seen it before. So just to be, like, the new kid in school to fit in, I lied and said I liked professional wrestling. So – I mean, I knew Hulk. I mean, like I used to watch Thunder in Paradise with Hulk Hogan. I know who that guy was <laughs> and stuff like that. But probably what captivated me was probably when it was The Rock versus the McCamsley era, 
in like 2000, like 90, right. like late 99, 2000 with like the radicals and like the end of the attitude era is what I probably got into. But then like, I remember again, a WrestleMania magazine and seeing everything from back then from like WrestleMania one. And I just like the World Wide web really helped me find old school wrestling, which is a huge part of my life is like, I love everything old school. Like I love world-class championship wrestling. I love, you know, mid South. I love the stuff from like the eighties and seventies, you know, even sixties wrestling early nineties. Yes. You know, with like Herb Abrams, UWF or like nineties, AWA, like, or actually probably like NWA 89 through 91 and WWF. I probably like, if people want to ask me like what I like to watch, it's just like those stuff back then, because like, it was like larger than life back then. And the business has changed dramatically, you know? I mean, the world of what we know of wrestling is completely changed. Me having this interview with you would not happen 30 years ago, you know? Because mm-hmm. the business was so kept secret, but now fans know the terms. You know, kayfabe can be still alive, but you have to play to the crowd. It's like a magic trick. You can't give all the secrets away. That makes any sense. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. That really does. And uh, so growing up down in uh, Texas, where uh, did, I'm assuming you watched a lot of world class. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, what other promotions did you have access to down there? Dory uh, and Terry Funk were pretty popular down here. Um, but that, I moved to Illinois when I was fairly young, so I didn't see a whole lot of promotions down there. Oh, okay. Yeah. So when you came up to when you moved up to Illinois, uh, what were what did you watch? What promotions did you watch? Um, just like the local indie shows, um, there was RCW in LaSalle, Illinois. Um, and that that was the only show that I really went to. Cause it was right by me. And of course I'd have somebody transport me. So that's the only place that I, I went. Okay. All right. And who were some of like your early uh, favorites that when you first started watching wrestling? Oh, um, I've, I've always been a fan of Stan Hansen and uh, Hulk Hogan. All right. So speaking of uh, your match here, uh, Tell the audience a little bit more about your uh, match and uh, also, like, what the date, all that good stuff. Uh, it's your time, man. Okay, man. Um, so, Saturday Night Grapple Masters is a Chicagoland Championship Wrestling show that, we, that will be taking place in Michigan City, Indiana at 7 p.m. Doors open at 6. Tickets are $10, $30 for a family four-pack. My opponent will be a guy who had the same, I guess you could say we kind of had the same beginnings, you know, people looked at us both as like the guys, the really athletic guys with the bright future and everything. Um, I mean, Raven Fett's kind of, I mean, now at this point, he's kind of a joke to me. He's just a shell of what he used to be. He's trying to do this whole reinvention of himself. He tried to go off and change his appearance and everything. And now he keeps calling me out for some reason. I was minding my business, man. And 
now, you know, John gave John gave us both what we wanted, and he keeps saying my name, and I'm going to give him a reason to stop saying my name and to leave me alone and let me be. And he keeps trying to play hero to these people, and it's, 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 it's all a joke to me, man. I'm pretty much going in on October 3rd ready to give this dude what he's been asking for. He's been pretty much asking to get his ass beat, and I'm just ready to do it. And I mean, honestly, it's that simple. He's like a Muay Thai guy. He's supposed to come at me with these kicks and these strikes, but I think it's going to be really hard to throw a strike when you're getting thrown over somebody's head. You feel me? Mm-hmm. It's going to be really hard to throw a kick when you get caught and suplexed over your head. It's going to be really hard to throw a punch when you're going to be put in a Kimura, you know, pretty much going to break it down systematically and pick up the pieces after it's done, almost like a vulture on a dead carcass. That's the mission. Put down brave and fat. Right. So, so, uh, so, tell the audience again if uh, if you're new to this show. Uh, uh, Paul was the guest on my very first episode, and we actually spent a lot spent some time talking about uh, the Road Warriors because of his connections. Uh, and uh, I'm going to get into how Paul here actually made it possible for me to meet the Road Warriors. Uh, but I'm going to before I go into that story, I'm going to let uh, Paul. Uh, share some stories about his time with the Road Warriors. So Paul, the floor is yours. Well, the thing is that, you know, again, as Paul Myers, not PL Myers, you know, I'm a fan of the Road Warriors. I, I get their merchandise, I get their posters, I got the, the action figures and, you know, you see them live. And then 96, uh, actually 90, which is true story, 90, uh, 95, I met Road Warrior Animal. Road Warrior Animal was doing a, uh, Special Olympics event um, at the Rosemont Horizon. Uh, they were doing on the floor where they had all, and he was he was uh, there, uh, had the pictures and autographs and stuff. And I didn't know you could bring your own stuff, but I met him. I'm like, hi, what's your name? Paul. Oh, okay. You know, animals always business. You know, that's the one thing if you, some of the interviews I've done with animal uh, has always been business he's always been about the business so when i met him it was like oh great i got road warrior animals autograph the next year 96 at the illinois special olympics event again which was held at the convention center i met hawk so i actually brought the uh six man uh not the six man the crockett cup pitcher it's like a five by seven of them with the belt uh the uh, crockett cup so uh i met hawk i actually interviewed him i started my television show hero tv uh, interviewed Hawk. Uh, and I go, this guy's, you know, you always try and press your heroes. And Hawk was of the two. Animal was business and Hawk was the guy that every, a lot of people drifted to because he was very likable. Not that Animal wasn't, but Animal was a business guy. You didn't mess with him. Um, so I go up to him and go, this guy's won six different championships, the Crockett Cup. This guy's a legend. He looks in the camera and goes, how do you not like this guy? He knows everything. Um, and that's where our friendship started. And then after that, um, I met Hawk again. And um, oh, I actually met the Road Warriors at WrestleMania 13 in Chicago, did an interview with them, which was featured on Dark Side of the Ring. All the clips of Hawk's interview was on Dark Side of the Ring was from the interview I did at Gold's Gym two days after WrestleMania um, with Animal and Hawk. And you can see how uh, Animal's talking about how WCW treated him wrong, why they're in the WF. Um, then I interviewed Hawk again, and then lo and behold, um, I became a manager in 2000. Uh, for I started off with PWI and LWF, and then 
uh, in 2000, uh, I became uh, 2001, joined PCW, and in October, uh, I managed the Road Warriors in Chicago. That was the deal. Um, a friend of mine, Bob Morenin, who uh, works Wrestling Figs, a website uh, with news and wrestling figures information, um, hooked me up with the uh, appearance. Uh, the story was PL Myers um, hired the Road Warriors to be our hitmen uh, because uh, Flyboy TK was the guy I uh, managed and Dave Storm and Wally Wild interrupt uh, a TK's celebration. So I hired the Road Warriors to go beat them up. So it was a three-way dance, uh, October 20th, uh, 2001 uh, at the Oakland Pavilion. We had over 900 people. Uh, Hawk and Animal were great. The, the place went ballistic. And then lo and behold, at the end of the match, PL Myers was not happy with the road warriors beating up the wrong person. So I grabbed Hawk, well grabbed, Hawk grabbed me and body slam, uh, uh, threw me in the corner, animal body slammed me and Hawk came off the top rope and landed on me. So that was my first experience managing the road warriors because I believe uh, besides myself, Paul Ellering, Sonny, and I believe also I saw a picture with Jimmy Hart. So there's four of us that have actually managed the road warriors. So there's only four people. And an inside story, because unfortunately, Vince McMahon has pulled back the curtain on the business. Um, when Animal picked me up, uh, he pretty much deadlifted me. Deadlifted me mm. uh, and, and spotty slammed me. And he goes in the back and goes, you know what? In my how many years in the business, you're the heaviest piece of you-know-what I've ever had to pick up. <laughs> More than Jerry Blackwell. So uh, Wow, that that's was, saying something. That was my badge of honor, because as a manager – a rookie manager. I just didn't quote push at the right time. But, um, and then we brought him back for dream night one at Elmhurst college where Mr. Perfect was there, uh, showed up right after he got let go from the WWF with his, the airplane incident with uh, Brock Lesnar, uh, Seth Rollins. That was his first independent wrestling show ever. Uh, who sh he showed up to dream night one. So that was his first taste of watching an independent show. Um, and then dream night two, was the 20 year anniversary of the Road Warriors, 20 years to the day. And one day we brought them in. We brought them in, uh, Paul Ellering, um, Hawk and Animal together for the PCW tag titles. Um, they were in a three-way dance with the Gravediggers and CIA. Road Warriors went over. Uh, that was their seventh championship they won together with Paul Ellering. They've won a lot of different championships, but not with Paul Ellering. Right. So this was so special. And then, Unfortunately, October 19th, uh, 2003, Hawk passed away. Um, after that, we brought back Animal um, um, for Dream Night uh, 3 with Dusty Rhodes. Uh, Paul Elling was also there. Um, so uh, our connections with Animal have always been there, and I've always appreciated you know, him putting somebody over and helping a company out. So Animal is always a class act, always business. Uh, my friendship with Hawk, everybody knows about, um, spoke at his funeral, um, uh, touched with the family, and then, you know, um, done anything I can for any of the, you know, Ellering and Animal, too. So it's it's one of those sweet moments, uh, bittersweet moments, when you get the phone call um, and find out that Hawk passed away, I found out at work, and then um, I got the uh, message from you-know-who, which I don't know. That would know. be me. That'd be you um, about an, about animal, which just shocked me because at 60 years old, um, he wasn't the partier of the 
of the duo. You know, he, he was in, to best of my knowledge, good health. Um, I guess he went away for the anniversary with his wife, mm-hmm. uh, passed away. You know, it's just, it's just gone too soon. And so how, did, how, how close is the Garrison Creed character to the man behind the character? That's him. That's me. Uh, I mean, I initially didn't want, uh, as I was explaining to you right before uh, you know, we started recording, I'm not the most exactly patriotic of folks. I mean, I'm not a red, white, and blue, you know, waving guy that's, you know, that's all about the country. I mean, I'm proud of what I did. I'm proud of the country and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but I'm not going on out there and, uh, and, expecting to be be in the front of the parade for it um i did what i did i'm proud of what i did i'm perfectly fine sitting at home uh you know keeping that to myself um and, and that's you know the kind of try you know character that i want to portray i'm not going to go on out there and force feed my american patriotism down anybody's throat um but it is definitely an in-your-face type of type of person that i am uh so when i come on out there I have this particular skill set that I learned over a long time, over various different, uh, you know, experiences, whether they were mundane or extreme. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you what a soldier is fully capable of, especially when you put them in a combat type situation. I don't look at being in the ring and I'm going to go and do a wrestling match. Mm-hmm. I'm going in there and I'm going to show you how to fight. And fighting's not pretty. Um, so when you're coming on up to, you know, saying, hey, is there any difference between, you know, who I was prior to, you know, becoming a wrestler or joining, you know, being what I am now? No, there isn't any difference. I mean, I may have tried, you know, gimmick-wise from the get-go, but then I found out, no, why am I going to do that? Why am I going to be fake? People don't want fake. They want real. And the best thing I can do is step into that ring and show them who I really am. Awesome. Um so kind of going back a little bit to when um, you decided that wrestling's what you wanted to do, what was the reaction of like your family and friends when you told them that this is what I want to do? <laughs> um, you're going to fail. Why are you even going to bother? Why are you going to try that? Bat! Uh, challenge accepted. Uh, that just gives me a little bit more fuel in the in the gas tank to to make that work. A little bit more, you know, loop up the old elbow grease to you know put that much more effort into it. Um, especially with um, you know, kind of my per- a lot of my personal relations, they haven't been the most optimistic and uh, positive influences on things. Uh, so I mean, I've learned over time to you know to kind of cut those strings. And I'm going to do what I'm going to do anyway. Um, and tell you the truth, since I've gotten involved in professional wrestling in the wrestling community, it's the best thing I've done ever. It's, uh, it's put me in a better place mentally. It's helped me uh, deal with a lot of the military issues that I've had to deal with coming out. Oh, it's, it's like my therapy. Um, it's given me that next goal. I'm a very goal-oriented person. So now uh, I, I'm a, I take each show uh, each each time I step in the ring, I take that very personally. That's my next goal. I mean, you know, I, I have uh, different things I want to accomplish with each match. I have different goals in the gym to make sure that I'm in shape to be able to do what I need to do in the ring. 
um, to do that. So a lot of people weren't optimistic. They were actually outright negative about me pursuing this as a, as a, a dream, a goal, a career. Um, and now those are the people that are asking me for, hey, where's your pro wrestling tee site? I want to buy a shirt. I win. A lot more. Um, so one of the things you and I were discussing, you know, as we were kind of getting this show set up together and stuff uh, is – um, and this is actually something that I'm going, I'm planning on discussing with a couple friends on a pod, another podcast that I'll, I'm working on is uh, what does professional wrestling mean to you? And like, also what are some of like the, the greatest benefits and things to happen since you became involved in the world of wrestling, both as a fan and actually as a performer? Whew, that's a good question. Um, wrestling to me has always been, I like a lifestyle is so cliche, but it's just something that has always been around for me. And it's always been something nice. Like when I was little, if I had a, a bad day or a bad week and I was like, Oh, dad's wrestling this weekend. It was so cool to just be able to lose myself in a wrestling show as a young kid. And as I grew up and I always had the weekends to look forward to, cause I could go watch some wrestling which is definitely an advantage of having a dad that's a wrestler. Cause when I was like 13 and 14, I started, Hey, can I come to the show with you? Hey, can I come to the show with you? And it really gave me an opportunity to see a lot of cool people, meet a lot of cool people and just watch some really cool things happen. Um, and it's just something that's always been around and I can't see myself having a life that doesn't involve wrestling because of how much it's been in my life. Awesome. So that's kind of, you know, for me, a lot of what you said kind of rings true with me. It's always been there for me. You know, I always talk about how outside of my family and my friends, you know, this is like wrestling is the thing I'm most passionate about. And it's because it's not only given me something to, you know, be, you know, to, you know, be a fan of and get into, but wrestling's allowed me to do things such as this podcast with, with that I have you on right now. Um, I've made, you know, I've had, you know, I met my, my, my best friend and I became friends just while we used to, we worked together uh, many years ago at Toys R Us. And we say, we, you know, we see each other, we might not or acknowledge each other, but it wasn't until we ran into each other at a WWF show back in, I think it was like 1997. And when we realized that we both were into wrestling, that's when our friendship really grew and blossomed. And I think honestly, that's kind of one of the most rewarding things about being a wrestling fan is all the friendships that I've made, you know, you know, with my mm -hmm. friends, even just, you know, meeting people at conventions such as yourself. I mean, we, you did a, you did something for me before, uh, all in weekend, you know, and I remember running into you at the Starcast and stuff, and just kind of striking out, starting our friendship there. So, uh, yeah. So, tell to some about like the friendships and stuff that you formed and stuff. Like, what's that like for you? Um, so it's it's really cool. Wrestling has. I was in a cool spot because I started as a fan, growing up around wrestlers, but still being a fan because of my dad, and I got the chance to meet people like. My first show that I remember going to was like a big show had like Kurt Angle, Rhino, uh, Bushwhacker, Luke, Abyss, Al Snow. So I got to meet people like that. And as I got older, I started to get into Facebook groups and go to conventions and 
that's where I met guys like you, my buddy, Justin Del Rio, one of my best friends in the world. Um, I met him through Facebook. I met all the guys at Two Sweet Cosplay, all great people. I met them. Yes, they are. Shout out to uh, Nico, Steve-O, EJV, and uh, Wildcard. Um, Absolutely. And so it's really cool to have met them. And on the flip side, it's really cool because I've started to be on shows and be in matches with people that I paid to meet as a fan. One of my favorite stories is I – was so excited to meet Glacier at StarCast on Me all too. the weekend in Chicago. I've never bought a photo op for anyone faster than Glacier because as I was watching wrestling and watching WCW and exploring, I thought that that was the coolest character, like the Sub-Zero, like he made it mm-hmm. snow. I thought that was the coolest thing. So I met him and I took this picture with him and I thought it was so cool that I had met him. And now fast forward just about two years, I talked to him yesterday um, and he's one of my, uh, a very good friend of mine. So, and being able to say that I teamed with him, that was so cool. He, he even said he got the standing ovation that you still got it. And thank you, Glacier chance. And he, he came in the back with tears in his eyes and he said that was one of the coolest things ever. Awesome. Okay. So we're, uh, we're at the show here and um you got you and uh, Tom came out to you know had, had a Road Warriors a little tribute. I believe you were wearing the uh, road or one. I know one of you was at least wearing the Road Warrior Animal shirt. Um, I know you had your face painted up like Animal, uh, and Tom had his face paint uh, 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 painted up like Hawk. Um, so obviously the uh, Road Warriors must have had some sort of impact on you guys. Uh, can you talk a uh, Talk to me a little bit about what kind of impact the Road Warriors had on you. Uh, yeah, so, um, and I can speak for both of us on this. Mm-hmm. Um, the Road Warriors are our favorite tag team. Mine too. You know, um, both Tom and I uh, in the early 90s grew up watching them. Um, they were kind of, uh, I, I think for Tom, they were kind of his first tag team that he kind of saw and got into, uh, for me the same. Um, I, we, we just kind of fell in love with them. I mean, they were two big guys, but at the same time, uh, they could go and they could do anything. They were, they were pretty balanced in what they were doing in the ring. Um, and I think what caught our eye and mine in particular uh, was that doomsday device. I mean, that's what made them stand out. Um, but yeah, we just, we just kind of fell in love with them. And then in uh, 2000 and I want to say 2010, um, no, yeah, 2010, uh, we, we had the honor of having Animal at a PCW show. And uh, he had walked up to Tom's uh, bag and he saw his jacket and his jacket had the spikes on there and everything. And I'm, I'm standing out in the, uh, uh, in, 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 in the uh, entryway, you know, and I'm, I'm sitting there, you know, where's Tom? And apparently animal was uh, just gloating and, you know, he, he was, he's like, you know, Hey, you know, what's with the spikes and you know, all this, you know, are you, are you, are you a wannabe road warrior, this and that. And you know, Tom, Tom didn't know what to say because he had to go. <laughs> and 
Yeah, it was, it was just crazy. And um, Road Warrior Animal uh, kind of gave us a blessing to, you know, use spikes and use, you know, get that, get that full Road Warrior gimmick and get that full look. Um, and uh, we, we kind of, we kind of became good acquaintance, good acquaintances with, with uh, animal. Um, we were, uh, I know Tom went to uh, Las Vegas, um, but for the cauliflower uh, uh, to alley club um, back in April, they were supposed to induct uh, road warrior animal uh, and Hawk into the uh, tag team award um, with Paul Ellering. And I guess um, because of the COVID, they had to kind of move that and they moved it to September's date. And I know that he had, uh, Tom had contacted me to see if I wanted to go to September one uh, because I was, I wasn't able to uh, attend the, uh, the April one. And Tom had gotten a phone call from uh, animal uh, before, the, before that. And they were, they were kind of talking and animal wanted to go to lunch and dinner and all this. And uh, I still couldn't make that, that date. So uh, they apparently canceled that one too. And I guess the night that he was supposed to win the award, he actually passed away. And so, yeah. And it, it, I didn't find out till, I mean, I found out the next day, but Tom, I guess, had woken up and he was just devastated and he called me immediately and he's like, you know, did you see the news? Did you, did you look at, I'm like, and I, I, I mostly run our, our social media accounts. Um, and I was like, no, I, you know, I haven't been on Facebook, haven't been on Twitter, you know, I haven't been near my phone all day until you called me. And, uh, he said, animal had passed away, you know, I was like, you serious you know so i had to, i kind of had to look it up because mm -hmm. you know i don't i know i know he wouldn't have joked around with that because i mean just you know how good of friends you know we were with him you know um but yeah i was i was totally devastated too um it's just you know yeah yeah i know i was um i had just uh gotten in from doing uh my morning walk and I was sitting down eating breakfast and I was browsing through Facebook and somebody had posted something about it. And it was the, and then, yeah, just going on like online, going on Twitter. And then that's when it was just starting to blow up. Um, and yeah, like I said, I was a huge road warriors fan. I took it really hard when Hawk died and I think, and I think I even took it harder when animal died because it just seemed so sudden. And it was just like, I mean, I remember, I was in, in my car and I was out driving. I don't even remember where I was. I was just on the road somewhere and I was talking to my mom and I just started crying, you know, and stuff because it just, it, they meant so much to me and, mm -hmm. you know, it was really hard. I mean, I got to go on, I don't know if you listen to Busted Open Radio on Sirius XM, um, but they basically, their whole, their, that whole, the whole show that day was devoted to Road Warrior Animal and I got to, I got my, I got through and got to talk about my experiences meeting Hawk and Animal and having some getting to spend some time with them and stuff and just how much it meant to me and that. So, yeah. So when you guys, uh, came out, uh, when I had heard about it, 
Um, and but when I saw you guys come out like with the paint on and stuff, it just it, it really meant a lot to me. Just being a, a Road Warriors fan, so I I want to take a moment to thank you and uh, Tom for doing that because just for me it, it meant so much. Um, so yeah, so so now you held the distinction of competing in the very first match of uh, Chicago Lane Championship Wrestling. Um, yeah. How did that, did, was that something that John approached you about and was like, hey, did you want to do this? Or that he told you, or how did that come about? Yeah, um, he was putting the match, the card together, the matches together. I don't think he asked me. I think he kind of just told me uh, that I was going to be the uh, first match in the history of the company. And I think, um, he, I think he said, uh, said something along the lines of him having, uh, of himself having the confidence that me and Miles are going to be able to have a great match with us. First uh, match in the first match of history in the company, so it was kind of just put on us, you know. We didn't know until we got there. So you mean you didn't know that you were beginning to compete in that first match until the day of the show? Yeah, yeah, it's like a, like the day or the day before, but yeah, I didn't know till like that point in time. And what it, what it, what it, what it, how did that make you feel when you found out he, that you were going to be in the very first match? <laughs> At first. I wasn't really thinking much of it. I was like, okay, first match, great. I'm not the main event, you know? And then we planned the match, and he comes up to us. He goes, yeah, I, I really believe in you guys. You know, you guys are the first match in the history of the company. You guys are going to leave a board for the company. Make sure you set off the, the night on a good uh, good tone. And at that point, I, I started panicking. I was like, oh, wait, the first match of the, of the company's history, not just first match of the night, you know? So me and my, uh, my opponent, Miles, like oh okay this is this is a lot of pressure i felt like this is more pressure than being in a main event because this is the first thing that you're going to see you know this is the first impression of having this uh company so let's not screw this up well coming from someone who sat ringside i thought you guys did a great job kicking it off um and i know the show's gonna be appear be uh available soon on amazon prime amazon, uh, yes sir and that's so, so how excited are you to uh to go and actually watch the match once the show is available on Amazon Prime? I'm really excited and you know it's not even just the wrestling that I'm excited for to watch back on the show. It's just I think everyone, even the fans, had a big part in making that night something special, something to remember for the first show of the company. It was just I've wrestled in quite a few matches, you know, for the time that I've been working, I've only been working since uh August last year, but I've had 60 matches already. Okay. Um, this is one of the nights where I think was, you know, really magical compared to the other shows that I've been on. Everybody was just crazy the whole night. You know? Well, so uh, let's get right into it. Uh, tell my audience a little bit about yourself, uh, who you are, where you came from, okay. you know, give us a little background story. No problem. Um, my name is Jonathan Hudson. That's my actual name. <laughs> I am originally from Malibu, California. Uh, where do I start? Okay. I grew up very, very, um, I hate using this word because I'll, I'll admit to it. I do not believe in it and I'll get to that point later, but I'll, I grew up very privileged. My, uh, my mother was a ballet dancer for the Royal Ballet. She's British. So my father, um, my father was in a band way back in the day called the Hudson Brothers. They had uh, two primetime television shows uh, back in the 70s, uh, Razzle Dazzle and the Hudson Brothers Comedy Hour. And they, their big start 
was they actually took over the Sonny and Cher show for five weeks over a summer. And that's how they got their, yeah, that's how they got their big start up. And Cher is actually, funny to admit, Cher is still actually a really good family friend. She, um, I'll get into it, but my dad once was diagnosed with cancer. He would not be alive today if it wasn't for Cher. So Cher, if you're ever listening, I love you. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I grew up very privileged. Um, you know, I, I grew up in, uh, in Brentwood, which is uh, right near like UCLA and Hollywood, that area. Uh, we ended up moving to Malibu when I was seven <laughs> because our four houses down neighbor was OJ Simpson. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we had like a huge Ivy front end in front of our house. And I, I remember seeing guys like looking through the Ivy and stuff, but I didn't know what I was only like four years old or something. As I got older, my parents told me it was the FBI looking for the murder weapon because when he drove the Bronco, oh, yeah. he drove, he, yeah, yeah, he drove right past our house and they think he might have thrown the murder weapon out there. And that's when my parents were like, hey, I think we should move. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we ended up moving into Malibu and I stayed there my entire life. Uh, well, not, not entire life, so I was about 18 years old. But one night I was nine years old. It was right before I was supposed to go to bed and I'm skimming through and I come across professional wrestling. I came across a gentleman by the name of Goldberg. Okay. He was he was wrestling a guy named Hugh Morris. Ah, it must have been his debut. I had no idea. I just saw a guy, just some big dude who had no expression and just went nuts and just crazy. But like at nine years old, I never really looked at the wrestlers. I looked at the crowd. I, I just that reaction to beating someone up. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't know the gimmicks of wrestling yet. I just, I was intrigued with it. I just, I thought like that was it. I went straight to my dad who was actually uh, writing a script at a time. And uh, I told him, I was like, daddy, I want to be a professional Westwa. Okay. So let's hear this Goldberg story. <sighs> okay. I really hope he finds out this because uh, I will say it to his face and bitch slap him when I'm done. So true story. I, Saved up money to go to Tampa, Florida for FCW, how I mentioned. Yep. My dad drove me out there from California to Florida, coast to coast. Wow. Uh, my dad met, he, he was introduced to a guy by the name of Ray Story. Ray Story, uh, he's best known for the founder and inventor of the e-cigarette. Okay. Uh, but back in, I believe it was 2000 or also 2001, right at the end of WCW's range or reign, he, he was the stage manager for WCW. And when we were driving to Florida, he lives in Atlanta. We actually stopped off in Atlanta, stayed at his house. Um, beautiful home. It was awesome. But, uh, and he was telling me, you know, he asked me the same questions, you know, whatever, whatever. And Goldberg, 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 Goldberg. Um, he told me, he's like, yeah, I know Goldberg. He's a good friend of mine. You know, like, you know, blah, blah, blah. Just, you know, kind of, he actually told me, um, he told me how he got the who's next monarch. He was uh, with his, uh, one of his brothers and he was like, you know, you need a, you need a shtick. You need something that, you know, the rock has this and this, you need something next. You need something, something. And the waitress just goes, all right, who's next? 
And there you go. That's how he got it. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. We woke up the next morning, the next day. Ray Story hands me the phone. Who is it? He's like, just say hi. I pick it up. I'm like, hello? It's Goldberg on the other line. Oh, wow. Yeah, bro. I cried. Mm. Like, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm, shoot, I cried. I, I wept. My childhood hero on the phone with me. That's telling me, oh my God, it was great. And I was just, I was just marking out totally, uh, very subtly though. And I was, you know, telling him like, thank you so much for the opportunity just to speak with you. And he was giving me pointers. And then he asked me what I was doing. And I said, I was going to FCW to try and get in there and try and go to the school, get seen, anything. And he said to me, and I quote, you know, Norman Smiley is a really good friend of mine. I love what I'm hearing out of you, kid. I'm going to give Norman a call for you. And he said this, and I quote, I haven't been in the wrestling business in a while. I kind of see this as me somewhat getting back into the business a little bit, you know, helping out a young guy like yourself with so much passion you know, I, I would, I would, I'll do that. I'll give Norman a call for you. That's when I broke out and just wept thanking him. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I get to FCW. What phone call? Oh, oh man. So Goldberg, if you're listening, screw you. And if I ever see you, I will bitch slap you because you're a brittle piece of crap. Sorry, I have to say that. I've been, I've been waiting since 2011 to get that off my chest. So anyone who says Goldberg's a great guy, no, he's not. He's a piece of crap. He told, I'm sorry, like I was, well, well, hold on, 10 years ago, I was 22, 23 years old. And he told a kid who's, who was his child, uh, he was my childhood hero. He told him that I will, to my, to my ear, I will call Norman for you and put you, put a word in for you the passion out of your voice i just love where's my damn phone call don't uh, i am not the type of guy to tell someone especially someone who's weeping to me looking at me like their hero i'm not going to tell them i'm going to help them and then not do anything i might as well rot in hell for that which i hope he does anyways so there's my goldberg story so wow that was yeah well, well, look who finally decided to show up. Uh, it's Rockstar Johnny Nye. I guess I would say welcome, but I guess I'm just going to say better late than never. You should say welcome. I mean, I've graced you with my presence on this show. This is, uh, my time is precious, my friend. Mine too. I, I, was, uh, I was a little preoccupied, so you're welcome for me being here. Well, gee, I guess I should say thanks for joining me since you already said you're welcome. So uh, um, hopefully I don't take up too much of your precious time. Oh, I hope not. I hope not either. So uh, first question I have for you is where is Rockstar Johnny Nye from? All right. So I'll, uh, I'll break down the whole origin story for you. You know, since I'm, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt today, Mr. Dennis, I am originally from Crown Point, Indiana. Um, born and raised there. And when I was around, always loved wrestling. Huge into music. 
those are my two passions growing up. Um, they came to flourishing, as you could see. Um, when I was about 21, I discovered that Northwest Indiana was a crap hole and I needed to get as far away as I could. So I moved over to Las Vegas because that fit my lifestyle. I mean, I like the party lifestyle, the rock star lifestyle. It made me feel more at home. So I went out there. I learned my craft, um, toured with the band all over uh, Europe, basically. Um, we did a lot of state stuff, but Europe loves the deeper end. Um, and that that's, uh, and then, I mean, I'm sure we'll, you have a lot of questions, but then I came on to uh, CCW uh, recently, and there we are. I mean, that's the, the small gist, but I'm sure, you know, you're going to ask more follow-up questions. I don't want to give you everything at once. I want to ruin it. Yeah, you de definitely don't want to, you know, blow your load at the beginning here. Exactly. And that's a Rockstar never blows his load at the beginning. Words of wisdom. So my first, my next question for you is, is how did uh, how did you, your you the rock star discover pro wrestling? Um, I would say when I was really young, uh, probably around five years old, um, I remember having action figures of Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant, Ultimate Warrior, Jake the Snake. You know, just all the classic Hasbro figures. You know, when I was real low. Mm -hmm. And um, I just, I grew up, you know, just seeing that larger than life feel, you know, of that stage. And I knew that I was destined to be a part of that stage. And um, I was going to do anything and everything to get there. And um, then I, you know, I stopped for a little while in like, you know, middle school kind of area. Um, and then in high school with the attitude arrow coming, um, I got way back into it, like really deep and, um, actually probably in junior high and then into high school. And then I just never stopped. It, it's just part of me. So which would you say is a bigger passion in your life, music or wrestling? Ooh, you know, that's, that is a really good question. Um, because to me, they're, they're kind of one in the same. Um, I know that that sounds weird, but um, my, my life, you, you see what you get with me. So with the music, it's part of my wrestling. So it's, it, it's the stage. It's whatever stage I'm on, that's when I'm happiest. I, I just can't pick one over the other, honestly, because I love them both equally. Um, it, it's just, it's two different huge forms of entertainment that most regular people will never understand, will never get to experience. And um, I've had the chance to experience both and it, it's, it's been wonderful. And that. Um, so when did you uh, decide that you wanted to become a professional wrestler? Uh, so I was in high school. It was my sophomore year, I think. 
Um, oddly enough, if I were to run upstairs, I still have my contract that I signed with the, the facility I trained with. Um, I believe that was in 2006 is when I expressed interest in wanting to go out and find a school. And uh, I just, one day, I remember walking up to my mom and dad going, hey, um, I've only got a few more years of hockey left because I don't really see myself playing men's league outside of hockey. And, you know, hockey is only going to last as long as my high school career, which I'm a sophomore, so I got two more years. Mm-hmm. And I want to get into something else that I've been really passionate about and a real big fan about. My parents are like, well, what's that? And I'm, my dad's sitting here thinking, I'm going to say, like, I want to be in a band. I want to learn an instrument. And, well, I had already gone down that road. Mm-hmm. wasn't for me. And my mom's looking at me, and she's just like, well, what, what is it, Tommy? And I'm like, I, I want to be a pro- I want to get into wrestling. I want to be a professional wrestler. And uh, my mom's like, absolutely no. My dad looks at her, and he's just like, well, why not, you know? He's been doing hockey for so many years. He loves he loves watching wrestling. He's a big fan of it. He's always playing the video games. He knows all the guys. And you know if we tell him no, he's just going to go do it anyway. So why let's, you know, let's let him go out and express that interest. And another reason my parents well my dad was always for it cuz he would be the ones taking me to practice for hockey and going to all the games. So he knew he was going to be taking me to wrestling practice and going to the shows and being able to learn, like somewhat maybe learn the ins and outs. So, but the big thing was, is growing up, it was believed that I had ADHD. Well, what do you do for an ADHD kid? You keep them busy to wear them out. Well, that's, that's what my, my mom was like, you know what? He's got to put this energy somewhere. And if he's going to be in a safe environment, then sure, you know, but if he gets hurt, it's on you. And my dad was like, whatever. So uh, I said, well, if you can find a school, we'll look into it. I went on my computer, and half hour later, I came up with printed forms, and I was just like, hey, I found a school. They're out of Oak Lawn, Illinois. They're pro championship wrestling. Can we check them out? Very cool. So, um, so when obviously, you know, pro championship wrestling is an organization I'm very familiar with. I went to their shows – religiously from about like mid to late 2002 to about early 2004. And then I went to what turned out to be their very last show in, uh, in 2014 out in Addison. And I believe, and that's the first time that I think I saw you actually wrestle. Um, So, so a lot of the names you're probably going to give me one with the answer. My next question are probably going to be ones I recognize, but who uh, trained you at pro championship wrestling? Uh, so I can't just give credit to one person cause I'm pretty much a mutt when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. Um, Rick Knight was the man who I signed my contract with. Uh, my very first practice was with Johnny Mack. And then from there on out for the remainder of the years at pro championship wrestling was open, which I believe would be seven years from the point I signed my contract to the day the company closed because if I remember correctly the company closed in January yep and uh, I signed in January so it would be about exact seven years and all my trainers span from Rick Knight Jared Priest Rick Rocket uh, Wally Wild uh, Rion Skills Jay Phoenix uh, Daniel Lure and Santana Starks from Body Count um, 
Some guys might know him as Strychnine from when he was in LWF. Others might know him as Christopher Avance when he was in with uh, PCW. Uh, and then here and there, uh, the Butcher, he would do uh, promo uh, promo practices where you can get more in touch with who your your character, or gimmick, or your personality was. So I've always considered myself a mutt. Okay, so now you when say? you went to uh, school, you went when you went to uh, start training with Sonny. Were you training to be a professional wrestler at the time? I I was, um, but unfortunately, back in 1992, I had a uh, life-threatening um, accident that was holding me back on some parts of. Uh, doing uh, actually complete the the training and do full matches so after about a year of doing the training um, and talking with Sonny and some of the other people at the school uh, we thought the best interest would be to try to pursue of either doing a referee or being a ring announcer uh, playing the commissioner of the promotion and everything so uh i was happy with it as long as i was still involved with uh, professional wrestling and uh going to the shows seeing the fans so i mean i've been in a couple battle royals i've gotten in some battle royals and everything so but other than that that's about it and i've been happy with the last 25 years yeah 25 years is a long time and stuff. And that's, that's, it is. I I've done a lot of matches, uh, met a lot of superstars. So, so who, who would you say out of all the superstars you met, uh, during your time in the business, who was your, uh, who was your favorite? Well, Stone Cold Steve Austin, um, the rock, you know, a lot of people say he's a, a jerk. Um, actually when I've met him, uh, very nice guy. Um, China, the late China was very cool. Uh, Vince McMahon is cool. Stephanie is cool. Uh, Shane is cool. I've met, um, the only one I have not met out of the McMahon family. I mean, I've seen her, but I've not actually met her as Linda McMahon, mm. but I heard that she is very, very cool. Um, so, and then back in the day, I used to take my oldest daughter with me to a lot of shows and she's met a lot of superstars she doesn't follow it anymore but um back in the day she's met shane mcmahon uh scotty too hottie actually scotty too hottie remembers her every time that uh we've ran into him and i've told her to stop at a show that he's been on that i've been on and he always remembers the first time meeting her because we had her out at the bar at two o'clock in the morning. And he told her that she needed to be home at home sleeping and get ready for school. <laughs> uh, yeah. He's, he always remembers her when uh, he sees her. So he's one of the cool guys. Um, King Kong Bundy, a oh, guy wow. that I used to hate every Saturday morning. Mm -hmm. watching him and uh we were running at the hemmons auditorium it was uh pwi uh 
back in the day before it uh, turned into PCW. Right. And Sonny said to me, he said, Lou, he says, I got a job for you. He says, we're bringing in King Kong Bundy and I need you to go pick him up at the, uh, his hotel. And I said, are you serious? He says, yeah, you know, can you do it? And I said, Sonny, I says, I'll do it for you. So um, I would talk with King Kong Bundy over the next couple of weeks before bringing him in on the phone. Um, he took a liking to my mom because if he called the house and everything, she would answer the phone. So the day that I picked him up, Dennis, I kid you not, here I am at the hotel up by O'Hare. I go to the front desk. I call up to his room. He says, I'll be on my way down. That elevator door open, and here is this just this huge guy that I grew up watching on TV. And here I am picking him up at a hotel to take him out to the Hemmings Auditorium in Elgin, Illinois. Yeah, that's got to so be cool. That was, that was really cool. Um, we even stopped at a store for him to pick up some Polaroid. And he was like, you know what, Lou? He's like, you don't have to come in with me. I'll be okay. Walking through the store. And I went in with him. And honestly, I don't know if it's people didn't remember who he was. But I don't know if seeing a big guy like that, no, nobody bothered him at all. Wow. Kind of reminds yeah. me kind of reminds me back in 2003 when uh, PCW was uh, running a dream night show and they brought in the road warriors and Jimmy Snuka. I actually got to drive Jimmy Snuka to that show. So I kind of had that okay. same feeling of, you know, like this guy I grew up watching and like, you know, I'm driving him to a show and like, I'll never forget him asking me to take him to a gas station so he could buy some cigarettes so it's just kind of one of those things, you know, and then also hanging out with the road warriors. And it's just, it's always cool when like you meet your heroes and you realize right. you're human, just like you and I are. Oh yeah. So does it, does it, feel, does it to you, does it feel weird? Like, you know, that you work for a, you know, work where, at a place where you're, you're basically known for being the, like a t-shirt company you know, where you make t-shirts for wrestlers and stuff like that, but you're not like what would be considered like a diehard fan. Does that, does that seem weird at all? Or. No, I think like a lot of people would, I don't say kill, but a lot of people would really like to be in the position where I am, mm -hmm. you know, me being one of them. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a star struck kind of guy. I mean, like, if I'm sitting here one day and Ryan walks in and Stone Cold Steve Austin's behind him, I'll probably be like, whoa, you know, because that's one of my idols, you know, and right. I'm just like, wrestling and watching it. And I'm just like, you know, but I've met, you know, I've met through Ryan and, you know, top wrestlers and, you know, it's just, it was like, it was really weird with like all, with the all in and meeting like Cody and meeting like the Bucks and meeting because I wasn't a fa I wasn't a fan. I really didn't know, you know, I knew about them obviously from the shirts and from selling and from everything, you know, but I didn't really know anything about them. And, you know, just like meeting them and not being a huge fan of a huge fan of it and just meeting them as the people that, you know, they are, it was, right. you know, and I, you know, it's just like, 
because a lot of the people here love wrestling very you know you know very much and they're just like they kind of just stand there and just you know just staring at them and i'm just like um you know talking just talking to them like as like a person you know you know right. and just you know like when cody first went to new japan and or he was going to new japan and he was doing a show out here in chicago i don't even know how long it was ago but the guy came in not in a suit, not in anything, just, you know, just sweats and just came into the store and Ryan's like, Hey, this is, you know, this is Cody Rhodes. And, you know, and I'm just like, Hey, nice to meet you. And he's like, nice to meet you. And, you know, we showed him around the shop. He was just, even for being a person that I didn't even know that he was from WWE or from the Rhodes family or from anything like that. But I know Goldust and I didn't even know, like I knew Goldust, but I didn't know it was, you know, he was a related. Didn't even know that, and I'm just like, I don't know who this guy is. I'm just like, he's just another wrestler from wherever the hell he came from, and he's here, and he's just visiting, and he was in awe of, like, what we did. You know, no, now you see Cody, and you see him, he's like a suit, you know, tie, and you know, he's for the brand and all that stuff. I mean, I saw him just gym clothes, and he was just walking around the shop, and he was just like, we had, you know, it was probably after a sale, we just had tables full of just full of orders and he's just and he's just like what is all this and we're just like yeah these are like orders from people and it's i'm pretty sure it's right when he was coming about to coming into new japan or really close to it and the guy was literally i'm like hey here's an order from jim bob um you want to sign the invoice and so he's like yeah he's like i'll sign the invoice you know and we and then that kind of caught on with like wrestlers that came to the shop if selling a lot of merch like we would go through their like we'd go through orders and they would just like sign it thanks a lot for buying my stuff you know that's pretty so cool yeah and there's just like stuff out there and like castro does it if someone buys a shirt nick will do it you know if someone buys a barracuda mailbox bomber shirt i've had five in my whole lifetime i'll sign it you know and we'll and we'll send we'll, and we send it out and, and people like it you know they'll you know, and some a lot of people think it's fake. You know, like especially if they get it from a wrestler, they're like, "Somebody scribbled on here." It's just Cody, and we're just like, "No, yeah, it really is him." You know, he was in the shop, and you know, he was, you know, and he's still humble to this day. You know, mm -hmm. this, but you know, he just wears a suit. You know, right. So, so, um, so obviously, you said you grew up in a house where wrestling was forbidden. Um, so what was the reaction of your parents like when you told them that you wanted to, you know, get into wrestling? Have <laughs> happened, bro. I was just going to say for my fans listening to this on um, like Apple Podcasts or whatever, he was shaking his head emphatically no. So, so to, to go to that story, you have to – we have to tell another story. Please. So <clears> – <throat> Uh, I've never, well, I'm not going to say I've never hit it, but I've kind of, um, I kind of speak about it now more than ever. Um, <clears throat> I was a huge alcoholic and drug abuser, uh, marijuana partake. Okay. Um, after I came back from desert storm, um, well, thank now, you for your service. First off, thank you. Um, I suffer from PTSD, and at that time, 
we we had no clue what it was and all this other stuff. Mm. <clears throat> so I just came home and I self-medicated. Um, I had kids and my life was going downhill fast. And I still watch wrestling, which is crazy. Um, but like, I really cried out to God and like, you have to, there has to be something else besides what I'm doing. So my now ex-wife runs in the house, tells me there's some wrestlers at the bank. So instantly in my head, I'm thinking Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, um, Undertaker, I'm, you know, I'm thinking big name stars are at the bank. We loaded up the kids. It's not even a, a 30 second drive, but we get there. And the bank was doing like, you know, like a little festival for the neighborhood or whatever. Right. And I get up and these guys are as big as me. And like, who are you guys? So the owner introduces himself. It's Sam DeCero of Windy City Wrestling. Okay. Never heard of you. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> so he's standing there with Mike Anthony, Steve Boz, Terry Allen, and Brandon Bishop. All of them are champions at that time. Who are you guys? Never heard of you guys. So um, he tells me to watch channel, at that time, I think they won channel 19 or 26 on Access TV on cable. Mm -hmm. I watched, I was impressed, but he gave me a brochure to join. And when I looked at the fee, I was like, nah, I, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. But I took it as a sign. Right. That that was the sign that I was asking for. Maybe this is what I need to do. I kind of put it on the back burner. So fast forward a few years later, uh, I'm with my new wife. Um, all my kids are over, all my girls. I only have daughters. And at that time, it was only four. Mm -hmm. And I'm a big Thing, my thing is, whatever your dream is, go do it. So right. my daughter wanted to be a veterinarian or something. And I was like, well, baby, if that's what you want to do, do it. The other one wanted to be a dancer. If that's what you want to do, do it. Whatever y'all want to do, I support. And then it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. How can I tell my kids to follow their dreams? I never followed mine. Right. So a friend of mine <clears throat> uh, kind of worked for the LWF, Lunatic Wrestling Federation here. Yep. Um, so we went to a show that Saturday. Um, and it was the infamous New Jack show. So, oh, boy. Um, hung out after the show with all the guys kind of got the atmosphere and I was like, yeah, I think I want to do this. Uh, went to one guy, but I wasn't sure where I wanted to train. 
So I went to one guy. It took me an hour and a half to get to training. And then he pulled out just some regular floor mats. And I'm like, where's the ring? And no ring. Wow. Okay. Now the training was free, but I didn't appreciate, you know, again, I'm thinking I'm just getting ready to get in the ring and, and get it on. Right. I didn't grasp what it took. So scratched him off, got back in my car, drove two more hours just to get home. I was really upset about that. A couple of days later, I go back to LWF to the bunk factory. The problem, though, when I walk in, machine is training. And anybody that knows uh, LWF Chicago, uh, anywhere of Chicago, they know of machine. Yes, I've heard of him. I was horrified. The way he was beating this kid during practice, and they were the only two. And I mean, the LWF building was gorgeous. I mean, it was like a kid's dream come true. There's all kind of toys and figures all around the wall and posters. I was like, oh, I love this atmosphere, but if I got to get in there and train with him, no. <laughs> I don't think so. Finally, um, I looked at that brochure again. So I called Sam DeSero up. I scheduled a tour. I go back. And he tells me, okay, this is the price. But you only have to put uh, 500 down. Now, that's not horrible. Right. But... I'm a father of four, husband, I've got bills, mortgage, car notes. Yep. $500 ain't just, you know. So I came to my parents, said, hey, I want to go back to school, but I need $500 to get in. And that was the only time my father asked for his checkbook and signed his name to a blank check. And I was stunned because I could have filled out any amount that I wanted to. Right. You know, but and he never questioned it. He just, okay, here. You want to go back to school? Here you go. All right. Needless to say, I put pay to the order of Windy City Pro Wrestling $500, you know, mm. and, and that was this. That was it, you know, but they had no clue what school I was going to. But eventually I realized that the check is going to come back. And it's going to say Windy City Pro Wrestling. Right, right. So before the check comes back, I need to kind of kind of tell them what's going on so they didn't freak out. Uh, so um, I told them. Um, they didn't seem too happy at first. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, God rest his soul. Uh, my father became uh, my biggest supporter and fan until uh, until he passed away. So uh, my mama ain't crazy about it at all. So she just mm-hmm. think I'm crazy, you know. <laughs> so yeah, go that's- figure. That's a great story. I was going to ask how they found, eventually they found out and stuff, but I just, I liked how you weave that in. So that was pretty, pretty good and stuff. So, so that's really nice that, um, and I think that goes to show like, you know, you know, a lot of times with our parents and stuff, they may not always approve, you know, or like the things that we do, you know, and I can say the same thing about my, um, my, my mom and my dad, uh, and stuff and you know but they didn't I didn't always you know do the right thing or like you know something maybe that they wanted me to do but no matter what I did it was always nice to know that like I had their support so it's always great when I hear something similar you know for someone else yeah I mean like I you know the the funny part is after I told them it was like I said they really didn't react and it wasn't until my first match Mm -hmm. um and I get in the ring, it's a battle royal, and I'm the last rookie standing amongst all these uh, vets. How many people were in the battle royal? Uh, that particular one at least had to be like 30. Wow. You know, uh, so I was proud that I was, you know, the last rookie standing amongst these guys that had been in here, you know, forever mm-hmm. to me. And so almost as a rite of passage, uh, we had a manager by the name of Psycho. And Psycho would uh, carry what he would call a Psycho stick. So it was either a, uh, a large black stick or a kendo stick. Okay. And at this time, he was carrying the kendo stick. So his way of blessing you into the business is he would crack you over the back. Um, so I knew, so I get thrown over, you know, finally. And I drape myself over the guardrail because I know it's coming. But I'm, you know, to me, if this is my rite of passage, then I'm willing to accept it. Okay. So he waxed me with everything he has, and I take it. And my father is like probably in the third row. And at this time, he's walking with a cane. And he gets up from the third row, trying <laughs> to make his way to the front to th- swing his cane at at uh, Psycho and at the uh, as my now ex-wife. Um, grab him like you know because he was screaming you don't hit my son like that right he was and going into dad mode right he, he, he went into dad mode and I felt like so like any pain I felt at that point was instantly gone because mm-hmm. I felt more joy that here's my father willing to try to protect me more than anything you know and it was like, okay. Um, so my mother did that at another show, um, which I think after those two instant instances, 
she kind of like just got numb to it all and it, mm-hmm. you know unless you know i come home you know with a broken bone or you know i got blood squirting down my face she don't care so you wow. know it, it's it's just what i do now <laughs> yeah and i'm kind of with you on that because like i said doing this podcast i've gotten to meet you know really kind of got, you know, gotten a chance to get to know a lot of the guys, you know, from CCW. You know, I had John Bullard on my third episode. I've had, you know, CCW superstars. I've had Garrison Creed, Jackson P. Larkin. I just had C-Red on and just, it's really given me an even more of an appreciation for what you guys do just because, again, I, you guys are, I gotten to know the men behind the characters and just the everything, the one word that I've, that I take from every interview I've done is that each and every one of you has been very passionate about this business. Well, you're, you're, you're getting great guests. Uh, the names you mentioned are that that's part of the core of, I think what makes CCW as good as it is. Uh, John Bullard is a visionary. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's unlike anybody I've ever really worked with uh, because he's always moving forward. He's got a, a, a very much a big picture mentality. So that's how you get a guy that's partnering up with Elevate Pro in Louisiana and, uh, you know, some of the Lucha Federations in Mexico. You know, he's, he's spreading out to make open channels of travel, uh, you know, for, you know, wrestlers to, to travel and, and work in different places. And it creates a unity in this business, kind of like the old territory days in, in, in a strange way. Mm-hmm. He's also got us involved with Fight, Amazon Prime. So, you know, he's a guy that's always looking at the bigger picture. Then you take a guy like Garrison Creed, who is a legit soldier, and he he wrestles like he's in a combat zone. Mm -hmm. And his story is so visceral and so incredible that you just feel glad to know who he is. And, you know, Jackson Larkin hasn't been in the business for a long time, but nobody hits with that concrete fist harder than Jackson does. I sat at ringside uh, for three hours and I can attest to that. So you've had some really good guests and C-Red, well, that speaks for itself. Uh, C-Red has been around 18 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been, he's been the soul touches. It, you know, if you don't know the soul touches, you have to, I mean, you've been in the business long enough to know who they are. Right. Uh, Mark the Rocket Acid Jazz, C-Red, uh, you know, Willie Richardson. I mean, that is a, that is a historic faction in this area so you know anytime you see c red it's like my god i remember the days at windy city when these guys were just starting out and they and they were just dominant so you had some great guests man congratulations to you you're really you're really bringing in the backbone of ccw well yeah and i mean like i said you know and one of the things that i've really that really validated me doing this was like when i went to the show on october 3rd and you know, I went and introduced myself to a lot of the guys that I had on it. Like Garrison Creed was like one of the first people I sought out. You know, I talked to Jackson P. Lark and obviously, you know, I talked with John before the the show and stuff, you know, and it's just the one thing that every single one of them said to me was thank you, you know, for having them on, you know, giving them that voice. And like John's been extremely grateful because you know, I'm helping, you know, promote his product and he's given me every reason to do so with the way he's, you know, not only did I've heard he treats the wrestlers, but he treats the fans. Like I was sitting outside of the, of the uh, VFW with my friend, Brad, who I went to the show with and John come out, you know, and walked over and introduced, you know, himself to us both personally, you know, and to make sure to thank us both for everything we do to help him out. And I mean, I could sense it that like, you know, he meant every word he said. He's a very honest man, and he is a promoter unlike uh, 
many I've met. Uh, you know, he was walking people to their seats on October 3rd, yep. uh, sending thank you notes to people that bought tickets. Yep. Uh, you know, he really has attention to detail and he knows that if the fans weren't happy or if the fans didn't like the product, we wouldn't have a very long run. Uh, so John does things very well and does them for the right reason, which is why the buzz about CCW uh, is warranted. And it's just the beginning because uh, what we did on October 3rd, just remember that's the first show that was, it's the pilot episode yep. and you know, every great series, you know, the pilot episode kind of gets you kickstarted. But mm. when you go back, you know, after you've seen the series as, as it's been around for a while, you know, the pilot episode is never your favorite. There's always something that comes later that blows you away. And you're always like, Oh man, you remember that episode? So we opened the door with grapple masters one, uh, but it's just the opening of the door. There's so much more to come and it's just going to get bigger. It's just going to get better and it's just going to get more entertaining. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Um, Cause I've heard, you know, various things that both like that, you know, some do some don't stuff, but, when you're doing like commentary for these matches and you're prepping, do you have advanced knowledge of uh, like the, like what the intended results going to be, or is it just kind of like the, you, you just go as if you don't know what's going on? Well, I prefer knowing as little as possible. And mm -hmm. the reason that, and, and everybody that I've ever worked with gets mad at that. Well, you know, we, we, we want you to know, no, I, I'd rather not because I feel the best, what I always enjoyed about commentary. And like I said, you know, I, I, I've been listening to the greats my whole life, Gorilla Monsoon, uh, you know, Jim Ross. I mean, I had the great pleasure of interviewing Jim Ross once upon a time and he oh, is, wow. he is a hero to me. I mean, everything I do behind a mic is because Jim Ross did it first. Uh, Tony Schiavone, I had a chance to meet him at the StarCast uh, event yep. before the uh, AEW show in Chicago a few years back. Yep. Well, these are the guys that are on my Mount Rushmore of broadcast commentators in the industry of wrestling. So, you know, you try to follow their lead. And what I always like about these guys is their spontaneity and their enthusiasm. To me, when I would listen to JR, you know, I would never believe that he knew it was coming. He was that good and he could be that spontaneous. Well, I'm not JR and I'm not Shivani and I'm certainly not Gorilla Monsoon. So I need the element of surprise so I can deliver that style of performance, which is what I want. I want to be excited. I want to be amped up. I want to let the fans that are listening to us know that this is an exciting thing and, and a big moment. And if you had a chance to watch the, the, the championship match uh, at Grapple Masters between Marche Rocket, uh, Shogun Chris Logan, and Garrison Creed, uh, I had very, very little knowledge about how that match was going to go. Did I know how it would end? Yes. But did I know how it was going to go? No. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the seven years I've been doing this, I think that was my finest commentary that I've ever done. I'm very proud of it. Even though we had to do it again, uh, I still think it was some of the best work I've ever done because I didn't know everything that was going to happen. And as it was happening, I got to be surprised, just like you. Right, yeah, because, I mean, one of the things in, in listening to your response to my question was is that I kind of thought to myself is I would kind of be in that same boat as well where I wouldn't want to know because I almost feel like in addition to what you said, 
the the reactions to you know like um, say a match finish or something like that would be that much more genuine and you're absolutely right and the best example i can think of when it comes to that is jim ross and jerry lawler had no idea that the undertaker was going to throw mankind off the top of the hell in the cell mm. through the table there were two people in that building that knew that was going to, that was going to happen and some medical staff. So they were in position. That was a very guarded thing. So when they did it and you hear Jr. and you hear uh, uh, Jerry Lawler call that match, when that happens, that is some of the most organic, spontaneous reactions to what you're witnessing, which was something that had never really ever been seen before in that format. Uh, so that's what that's what draw that's what draws me in, and that's where I'm always trying to be. I always want to be that excited to put something over the way they were that night because that's the greatest call I've ever heard in wrestling. So uh, one of the things that, and um, that I wanted to ask you about because this is actually something I was just made aware of when I recorded with Steve uh, Arendt. Uh, he had told me that there was an issue when he and uh, Joey Roth was doing, uh, was doing, they were doing the commentary for the show. And he had told me that they had to come, they had to get with you again to uh, basically redo all of the commentary for this show. Um, So when something like that happens, like what, what, how do you go about rectifying it? Because like I said, I didn't even honestly know, until Steve <laughs> what I've seen on the show, what I've seen on the show so far, I mean, everything sounds just sounded flawless. Nice. Cool. Thank you, man. That means that we did our job pretty well. <laughs> but like, so, what, yeah, just, yeah. Talk to me a little bit more about what it was like, you know, like when you realized the audio, the commentary had the issues and it had to be re-recorded. Yeah. So, so um, it was at the end of the show where uh, Coriander, uh, John Bullard's wife, she ended up uh, sending, we, she was sending me the audio files. And as I was going through it, I started listening. I was like, uh-oh, like there's one hiccup that it just, it didn't sound good. I don't know who set up. I, that was, I'm not a sound technician. So uh, I don't know who set it up. Um, it wasn't recording correctly. Okay. So, I mean, they recorded, but I think just some wire might have been put in the wrong spot. So it sounded very like, echoing and just just not perfect and we we're like dang this is not what we can use so what can we do but then john bullard what he did is uh he ended up shipping me the materials like the soundboard the headphones uh the mics and stuff so i was like okay cool send me the stuff i'll learn how to use it so i spent like like just a few days like maybe a week to like learn it and configure it all myself and practice and then i was like okay this is good like i, I learned how to set it up right and then i invited them to actually come over to my place and Joey Roth and Steve came over and we basically I set it up to where I just made it like a makeshift studio space. <laughs> and then uh, we put on the show because I had the show already edited by then. So mm-hmm. I was able to, they were watching the matches while they had the headphones on and the mics so then they can do commentary then. So then when I, had, I was able to record the audio files like that and then sync that up to the video, like the matches that I already had done. So it was, yeah, it was like a post sort of thing. But actually had uh, my sisters come over and help me out before they came. Because I was like, just, I just need you guys to put on this, the equipment and let's just talk over this match. So I could, like, test it out and make sure everything was right. And 
it was spot on. So that way I was ready for Steve and Joy when they came and we just kind of got to it. So we had some uh, breakfast and drinks for them to enjoy when they came. And mm-hmm. when we started recording, cause it was like three hours, we were just do one match at a time. So that, that way they can drink some water and right. set in and stuff and they could uh, get themselves like rebooted. And it was fun though. It was really fun. Cause it was, it was cool. Get, getting to see their reaction watching the show like from the camera perspective instead of instead right. of live so it was cool because they they were like oh wow like they were very like engaged into it still so like they were able to get lost in it and feel like if they were actually there again and then what was also um i think beneficial from what they told me was that when you're there live sometimes they might miss like a move or a certain angle or something so mm-hmm. being able to see it from multiple shots kind of helped them like articulate more stuff that was going on so it ended up working out in the long and at the end of the day it all worked out pretty well and and if you guys can't notice it when you're watching it then that's perfect because you're supposed to just get lost and you guys are getting lost so that's great well yeah it's like i said like i had no idea and then like i'm you know i'm talking with steve and he's like i'm gonna let you in on a little secret and then that's when he told me and literally you know i'm going you know my mind like (laughs) yeah it sounded great and i mean uh and that so um now was it when when you know john came to you and you know wanted you to do the do the you know the filming of the show and stuff like that was it the was it his idea or was it a mutual thing but like in terms of like what the presentation turned out to be in terms of like the being like you know filmed in a more cinematography you know in more of a cinematographic style by hopefully i pronounce no, that I get properly. you, I get you. Yeah, yeah. but like was it more like was it his idea was it a collaborative thing like tell me a little bit more about the uh what led to the uh the presentation that you know the people that are watching the show on amazon prime and powered for tv like you know what they ended up seeing yeah so he he got an, an idea of how i was able to shoot and how i made the shows look so mm-hmm. he liked what i was already doing and um actually uh, actually, it ended up, I think, working out a little bit better with that our first show didn't happen in April and we had a couple months to, to prepare a little bit more mm. because throughout that time, I was able to actually save up a little bit more and invest in better equipment that I had not had yet. So okay. I was, um, I, and it was a C3 wrestling show where I just went, I talked to Chris and I had asked him, can I, hey, can I come and record some stuff? And I just want to test out my equipment. And so I, he, they let me, so I was able to practice there and I was like, okay, this is like, great. This is like what I wanted. So with my new cameras and, and my new equipment, I was able to, to practice on that show. So I had an idea of already what I wanted to do for CCW and he pretty much trusted me with just like getting it all and making it look good. So when it was, it came to me to, I had given him a few different like colorings. So like, the, you know, I wanted him to see like what kind of look he liked more. But like it was kind of me to to decide like okay we're gonna do this shot and then this shot and stuff like that as I'm editing it. But it was a collaboration and seeing how he wanted it to look like stylistically. So I gave him a couple of different ideas and and he was like, dude, that that one's perfect. So we ended up with the final product. How it looks is what we decided on. But it was um all, as we were shooting, it was kind of in my head of like how I wanted it all to be too. So. So it was really smooth, like with the extra few months that with, with the pandemic and all that. So I was able to actually just think about it even more. Like it just gave me more time to prepare, more time to anticipate it all. So we was just by the time that the show came around, we were already itching to, to make some magic happen. 
So it would it was actually a blessing in disguise that we just had more time to prepare because it really I think it's just proper preparation, you know, prevents poor performance or whatever. So I think it was just it was cool. We had more time to practice and get it all done. But it's really the, I think the upgrade in equipment is what helped out make it look even more cinematic. Because before uh, when I first started, I was just using my iPhones and I would have them on stabilizers and mm-hmm. I would just change the setting on the iPhone. To where like you couldn't really tell that it was an iphone because it was stable and the shots looked really smooth and how i would edit it and i would put like a lot on it to make it look a little different so i was able to get all that practice so then when i got the new stuff it was just like a whole different feel but right. i already knew like what to do basically i was just doing the same stuff just with better equipment so i think that's what really kind of just improved the quality of the show as well Awesome. So uh, speaking of C-Red, how did you get, how, how did you hook up with him? Like, how did you uh, run into him in the business? Uh, that's, <laughs> well, uh, I, I think it was CTW had a, you know, they do a year round uh, show, like a big show, you know, a lot of companies do that, which was called uh, Destiny. And it was the first one. Um, they brought in the, uh, the Soul Touches. Right, right. And I, and I was, I was on. I was teamed up with somebody that I wasn't supposed to be teamed up, which they said they wasn't with teamed up. But we just stuck with it and we made our own thing. Uh, his name was David Desire. Um, okay. And we had a tag team match against them, and uh, the whole premise of the match was my partner was supposed to turn on me from a mistake that I made to that cost us the match, basically. Okay. And then uh, he was finna take me out, and then Soul Touch just ran in and save me basically so that was a whole split but that's that was the time that i had actually met c red i didn't really get to talk to him much mm-hmm. but that was that was the time that i met him and then i think like a couple months later the uh the booker of ctw i think talked to talked to red and told him that they starting a group and they wanted him to you know basically be the manager or whatever and, uh, you're right and uh from what i was told i was actually supposed to be in another group I wasn't even, that's the funny part about the ARC, you know, I wasn't, to me, wasn't supposed to be in that group. Okay. It was, it was supposed to be somebody else. I was face at the time and they was, they was trying to get me to do a gimmick or something that they had planned or what the owner had planned, which to me wasn't, wasn't me at all. <laughs> okay. I'm like, man, I can't, I'm, I'm not comfortable with doing it you know what i mean i don't want to do nothing i'm not comfortable doing because then it's gonna suck right right so, right and it'll reflect on your get, performance in the right room. so i guess they they just say you know i just turn them heel and that the night that i turned was the night that you know arc was basically born so mm-hmm. um with john hudson yes um, you know renee van people c red and then aaron xavier was the original what five or whatever so mm-hmm. and then we, it's from there. It's just like well, now we're here, and it's, <laughs> right. it's just us. But but from 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 that moment of us, you know, I think it was like 20, 2016 From then, from to now, so C Reds really they've been there since since that day. Right, right. So so obviously you you've gotten to know uh, C Red over the years, and like you said, in the time that I spent with him on my show, you know, I and I even told this to him, I felt like I went from doing an interview to chatting with a really good friend. And that was just in the span of about an hour and a half. Um, I mean, tell me like, I mean, it, 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 like is, 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 is C-Red seems like he's such a good guy. 
you know. Oh yeah, that's my dog, man. Yeah, and and just like I mean, it's yeah, and it's just it's it's I I just kind of want to know like I mean, how 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 much does what does he mean to you? Because obviously you guys have been together for a while. Um, what does he mean to me? See, Red is like he. I ain't trying to get all emotional or whatever, but that's 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 my brother, man. Like he, I think from the from I think when we we actually was doing shows together at CTW, he would always try to give us advice about you know just um just go out there and uh basically enjoy it, you know um uh just have fun basically, you know don't try to you know. Don't just get discouraged in what you're doing or whatever. Just basically focus. You know, if you you hungry, you actually want to do this, then actually put your put your best foot forward. But he he like he means he means a lot to me. Like mm-hmm. I can say, he just he he's like a big brother to me, man. That's that's best way I can put it. Like he, hey, the uh, extra brother in my family. <laughs> so that's yeah. Everybody yeah. call him Uncle Ray. I call him bro. You know, that's yeah. my brother. So yeah. Yeah, and that was um. Uh, in the conversations I've had uh, the past couple weeks with uh, uh, CCW owner John Bullard, because uh, he and I talk quite a bit on Facebook and stuff, um, he he he's actually the one that told me. He, I think he first told me, or you know, he talked about that as well too. And then when I had uh, C Red on my show, he talked about that. And it's just to me that just really just speaks to what kind of person he is. Is that you know people feel that comfortable with him that they call him you know Uncle Red or whatever and stuff. Yeah, it's really cool. And there you have it. That is the year 2020 on What Do You Say with DDJ. Thank you to each and every one of my guests for taking time out of their days to do this show with me. Uh, Thank you to all of you who continue to listen and support the show. Uh, Don't forget this show, along with all future episodes of What Do You Say with DDJ, can now be found under... Uh, where you find your get your podcast at just type in pro wrestling junkies this show is part of the pro wrestling junkies pod squad Uh, not only will you when you type that in will you find episodes of what do you say with ddj you'll also find episodes of the junkyard which is a show that i do with my friends spencer and jovan got lots of great things uh in store for you in the next year so uh don't go anywhere because we've only just begun And to all of you who will be going out celebrating, please drink responsibly, have fun, be safe, and happy new year. And uh, once again, thank you for your support. And be sure to tune in next week for the season premiere of What Do You Say with DDJ. Thanks.